I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research, on, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. I'm Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. This message comes from NPR sponsor Subaru, introducing the all-new 2022 Subaru Forester Wilderness. Equipped with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive, 9.2 inches of ground clearance, and all-terrain tires. Discover more at Subaru.com wilderness. All season, we've been sharing stories of trailblazers. People who rocked the boat and made waves in their careers, in science, in music. And on this episode, people who shook things up in another arena, sports. And we're not talking about the jocks. It's the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm Camila Kashani. Our first story is about finally finding where you fit even if you're almost seven feet tall. When Rob Maiden was a kid, he was a little bigger than some of his classmates. I'll never forget going from the ninth grade to the 10th. I went from 5'6 to 6'3 over the summer. So I left school, and by the time I came back, all my friends were all like the same height, and all of a sudden, I went past them. So I got my buddy saying, hey, don't stand next to me. Rob grew up in Texas, where football is pretty much everything. And when he came to StoryCorps with his friend Daniel Jacob— he told him that that seemed like a natural fit for him. My mom's about 4'11". My dad's about 5'10". I'm six foot five, and nobody's near my size. It was so bad that my mom thought something was wrong with me, but my dad loved football. So he would say to me, man, if I would have known you were going to be this big, I would have made you play. You should be a tight end right now. I should be at the games. I said, well... I wasn't really into a lot of people hitting me, and it was just a little bit too much. What about your life, childhood? I was awkward and painfully shy. At least I thought I was. That's pretty weird, because outgoing you are. Wasn't always that way. It was probably always in me, and then it just needed a, a vehicle. Daniel and Rob both found that vehicle in the Mavs Maniacs, an all-male dance squad in the NBA. It started off as a playoff gimmick back in 2002. But now it's legit. They're a hip-hop dance group of self-proclaimed beefy men who perform during Dallas Mavericks games. And they all have nicknames. You have Big Rob, Chunky D, JJ, Pork Chops, a.k.a. Chops, <laughs> who started out being called Bacon. Wonder Bread. Well, I just called him Bread. I just called him Wonder. We're so lazy. If your name has more than two syllables, mm -hmm. we're not going to use them. You know, you have all these guys from so many walks of life, white, black, Hispanic, Filipino, you name it. We have, have or had it in this group. And we'll start out fully dressed, but we have this moment that's called the bust out. And we're dancing, it goes, boom! We kind of end with some exposed bellies and... We have half shirts, which shows off a little more skin. A lot more skin, if you're my size. I've seen so many people start out going, oh, boy, what is this? And by the end of the sun, they go, these guys are pretty good. <laughs> For whatever reason, when we dance, it just tends to make people smile. And we just fell in love with those smiles, and we've been going strong ever since. 
the Mavs Maniacs have performed at birthday parties, pep rallies, even weddings. And even though they bring a ton of joy to other people, there was one person in particular who had a hard time coming to terms with all of it. My father is a man's man, so he didn't get any of that stuff. I would invite him to games all the time, and he'd give me a million excuses as to why I have to get up early tomorrow, Well, I don't drive at night. But I will never forget, he came and he met me after the game. He's watching all these folks come up to us and we're signing autographs. And a fan walked up and he had my face on his shirt. I look at my dad and I said, can you believe that? And that guy said, did you say that's your father? And I said, yeah. And he said, sir, would you sign this? My dad never signed an autograph in his life. I won't ever forget the look on my father's face. And he did not stop talking about it. How, how much he just respected me as a man because he said, you look like you really were born to do this. And uh, it really stuck with me because now when I'm raising my kids, I'm not as hard on them about what they're trying to do with their life because I just have this belief that it's going to work out. And, you know, so far, <laughs> life has worked out pretty good. was Big Rob Maiden and his friend Daniel Boy Ain't Right Jacob. Our next story comes from someone who also found her place on the basketball court. I was always outside playing basketball on the course against the boys. I was always the only girl and I used to like really be really good and sometimes the boys would pick me before their other friends so they would get mad. Yolanda Johnson grew up in Pennsylvania with her grandparents. And as she told her wife, Latasha Bonner Johnson, there's a reason why she spent so much time playing ball. And just a warning, this next section mentions suicide. My grandparents are from the old school, so I think they can tell when I was younger that I was going to be gay because I was always like this. And there was times where they used to beat me for it. But um, I didn't know how to be anybody else. My first girlfriend, we were so close and... She was just so awesome when I was with her, so I didn't even know things were bad. She jumped off a bridge. And, you know, I was really torn up about that. And I remember coming home crying, and my grandma, she looked at me, and she said, what's wrong with you? And I told her. She said, wives don't even cry over their husbands like that. If you feel that bad, the bridge is still there. You can go jump, too. But um, I kind of got lucky because this guy named Mr. Kale, he picked me up on his basketball team to play for his team, and he knew I had a bad home life. He would come and pick me up from my house every day for practice. He knew I didn't have money. He never questioned it. He paid for every tournament. He just always looked out. He was a good guy. I started getting letters from colleges when I was around, like, 12 years old. I remember coming home from school and having garbage bags full. I'm talking about like the big black garbage bags, the big ones. I got recruited by a Division I school. So, you know, when I got to Florida, I worked hard just to get there. And the head coach to tell me, Yolanda, we don't want the young girls of America thinking it's okay to be like you. We can't have you represent this program. Yolanda had to leave school around her sophomore year. And she stopped playing basketball. 
This was also around the time she met her future wife, Latasha. I remember I was still horrible to myself. You were super happy about something. And I just said some dumb stuff that was negative. That ain't going to happen. Something always goes wrong. I just remember the look on your face, man. Getting to know you more and finding out about your life. And I don't know, you just, there was so much pain in your ass. And I just, I didn't want to see that pain no more when I looked at you. And I just wanted to show you that love. Give me one of your favorite memories. I would say when we begged God if he would just give us our very first apartment. We didn't care if we had to sleep on the floor. And we were sleeping on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) We was literally starting at the bottom, and we were the happiest we could probably be. And our love is so strong now, almost 12 years later. Tasha and Yolanda got married in 2010. And around that time, Yolanda reconnected with the first love of her life, basketball, but in a slightly different way. Yolanda's now a basketball coach. The kids call her Coach Yo. When I got those kids out there doing that 20 minutes of hell drill and their legs are shaking and there's still 10 minutes left and I can make them push past that breaking point and they refuse to quit, to me, that's the best feeling in the world. Kids deserve to get everything out of life. There's going to be so many things that's going to try to stop them and so many things that's going to try to break them. I want to be that one to let these kids know that it doesn't matter what anybody say. You don't have to be who people say. You have to be to succeed. You know? You can make it. And Yolanda still hasn't forgotten about the coach who showed her what was possible. And you know, I call him sometimes. I'll just call him like, what's up, Mr. K? What's going on? He said, out of all the kids I coach, you're the only person that calls and checks up on me. That makes me feel bomb. He deserves it. I mean, I don't know where I would be without Mr. Kale. You know? I don't know where I would be without him. That's Yolanda Johnson speaking with her wife, Latasha Bonner Johnson. After the break, we head to a baseball stadium in Baltimore to meet a different kind of professional athlete who never even steps on the field. Stay with us. I'm Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. This message comes from NPR sponsor Subaru, introducing the all-new 2022 Subaru Forester Wilderness. Equipped with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive, 9.2 inches of ground clearance, and all-terrain tires. Discover more at Subaru.com wilderness. The Embedded Podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.
If you've ever been to a baseball game, you might not be aware there are actually two games happening at once. The obvious one's on the field, but there's also vendors competing in the stands, seeing who can sell the most snacks during the game. And our last story comes from a guy who slings beers so well, it got him his nickname. Clarence Haskett, also known as Fancy Clancy, has been a vendor at Baltimore Orioles games since 1978, and he sold more than one million beers. He came to StoryCorps with fellow beer vendor, Jerry Collier. My very first day, I was still in high school, and I don't know why I remember this, but I made $8.25. I met you probably the second day of my new job where I was a beer vendor when I was 19 years old, and you just crushed it. When I looked around the ballpark, there was this ray of sunshine everywhere you look, a guy who outworked people, who outloved all the customers more than anybody else, and I said, that's who I want to be like. But see, I had little secrets, though. I used to move quicker than a lot of the other vendors because I was a sprinter in college. And another thing, you know, I had to gift the gab, and I used to do rhymes, so that helped me out. Give me one of your rhymes. Well, back in the old days, I used to use this one a lot. Hey, empty your pockets, put your money in your hand, because here's Clancy, your beer man. So, you know, I used to do little things like that. And all the vendors that we worked with, all of us had some type of a personality for doing something. And if you go into the stadium and you're number one, you have incredible pressure to be a selling machine. The way that I look at my job as a vendor, my mindset is I'm a professional athlete. I have to stay in shape. I have to train during the offseason because vendors running around with straps around their neck, that's only on television commercials. Good vendors pick up their case and they carry it. It's consuming. Yeah. What's in your soul. Put it this way. Both of us, when it came to our wedding, how did we plan our wedding? Around the <laughs> Orioles. Orioles are out of town. <laughs> yep. You know, Clancy, you epitomize to me and so many people all that's right in the world. If it's a rain out the Oriole game and you only sell two cases of beer, in the big scheme of life, that's not a problem. I mean, I think that's more than the rhymes and all the rest. You're larger than life in a lot of ways. I can always go somewhere and get a free beer from somebody. <laughs> I can go in a restaurant or a bar that I've never been in before. It's always somebody knew who I was. So I definitely shake a lot of hands. And as long as I'm still healthy, I know I got another good 10 years. Fancy Clancy Haskett and Jerry Collier back in 2014. It's been a while since that conversation, so I called him to check up on him. So, of course, the question everyone wants to know is, are you still doing this? I did it all the way up until the pandemic hit, and then we didn't have any vending at the stadium. And then I caught COVID-19 last year, and I was in the hospital for 10 days. But I honestly think because of the way that I was physically in shape, that it it helped me through it. So your job, the passion for all this and everything, ended up really helping your life. Exactly. That's crazy. I'm assuming, you know, you've met a lot of people being a vendor. Have you stayed connected with some of them? Oh, I stay connected. Matter of fact, I text them out of the blue. I send them a Christmas card every year. And um, let me tell you something else. One of my regular customers owns a brewery, and he talked to me a few years back about putting my face on a can of beer. Oh. I said, man, that's not going to work. And he said, of course it will. So maybe a year or so after that, we decided to do it, and we debuted Fancy Clancy Pilsner. That's so dope. And ever since that beer came out, he said that has been the number one selling beer in his brewery. You're killing it. 
So your friend Jerry that you did the conversation with said that you epitomized to him and a bunch of other people all that's right in the world. And so at a time like now where everything feels a little upside down, all the COVID stuff, what do you feel like keeps you going? Last year, we still really didn't have the vendors in the stadium, but I still wanted to work. So I talked to management and I asked them, uh, could I bartend? And they said, yeah. So I'm still able to talk my stuff to the fans. You know, during this time, you got almost a million people that done passed away from this. But just in the United States, do you know what that means? Everybody that you know knows somebody that done died, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point, somebody's had some sorrow in their life. I mean, we're all on this earth for a little period of time. We all know that. But sometimes you just want to enjoy yourself at a ball game. I get that. If you could say anything to people that maybe listened a couple years ago, what would you want people to remember? Let me tell you something. I thought about a lot when when I was in that hospital for 10 days. My father told me one thing that I'd always remembered. He said, no matter what you do in life, always try to be the best at what you do. Okay, well, that didn't work out for me in sports. You know, I really wasn't the best athlete in the world, but I could run. I took that ability and I applied it to vending. And guess what happened? 15 consecutive years as the number one vendor. No other vendor has been number one for 15 consecutive years. That's amazing. You probably have a lot of pride about that, yeah? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's incredible. No matter what you're doing out here, no matter what it is, try to be the best at what you do. I love that. My mom says that too. Yep. Thank you so much for talking to me, Mr. Haskett. all for this episode of the StoryCorps podcast. It was produced by me and edited by Jasmine Morris, who's our executive editor. Our technical director is Jared Floyd, who also composed our theme song. Our fact checker is Natsumi Ajisaka. Special thanks to Jared Sport, Aisha Turner, Vera Testing, Lina Anwar, Kale Cron, Maya Millet, Christina Stanton, and Eleanor Vasili. To see what music we used in the episode, go to storycorps.org, where you can also check out original artwork created by Lynn Lucia. For the StoryCorps podcast, I'm Camila Kashani. Catch you next week. This podcast is brought to you by supporters of StoryCorps, an independently funded nonprofit organization, and is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. 
Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation and who those accusations hurt the most on It's Been a Minute from NPR. 